The following takes place between 11 a.m. and 12 p.m. Events take place in real time. That's the beginning of one of my favorite shows, 24. Now they have a reboot of 24, but it's not the same because it's not the same when you don't have Jack Bauer. Okay, Jack Bauer is a CTU agent, counter-terrorist unit agent. And when Jack is on the case, he prioritizes country, family, and he's put in extreme situations that show you one thing about Jack Bauer, and that is that he is all in, right? Nobody can watch that show and take a look at how he defends his country and protects his country and not say that this man, when you watch him, is all in. He will go to any lengths to protect, to defend. And we like it when people are all in, right? You don't like it when people are half in. There's a baseball player from the 1970s. How many of you have ever heard of Charlie Hustle? Anybody know who Charlie Hustle was? Pete Rose, you got it. Pete Rose was Charlie Hustle. And Pete Rose was known as Charlie Hustle because when, he would, when they would walk him, he would go full speed running towards the base. I mean, people would look and they'd say, well, they walked him. Why would he run like this? Because whenever he was on the field, forget about the fact that he wouldn't give me an autograph as a child. We won't go there. But when he was on the field, he gave his best all the time. All right, he's always giving it his all. And so he earned the nickname Charlie Hustle because it's important when you're on the field that you're all in. Right? That's the kind of athletes we like to watch. We like to watch the Magic Johnsons. We like to watch the Larry Birds. We like to watch the Michael Jordans. We like to watch the Tom Brady's, kind of, because when they play, they're all in. They're all in. All right? No matter what situation, no matter what the circumstance, it could be the fourth quarter, they could be down, and they're all in. They're giving it everything they got. In the same way, if a lawyer's defending you, you don't want half measures. If a doctor's operating on you, you don't want somebody that's kind of there and kind of not there. They're a little bit distracted. You want somebody that's there all the way. In relationships, in relationships, we follow the advice of that great philosopher, Francis Albert Sinatra. When somebody loves you, it's no good unless he loves you all the way. That's the kind of relationship that we want. That's the kind of marriage we want. What do they say in the vows? That we're to stick together in sickness and health, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, till death do us part. Those are the vows that we take when we get married. And when somebody takes a vow like that, you're saying all in, all the way, right? I don't go to my wife, and th this was easy for us, for richer or for poorer. I made sure she married me poor. I made sure that I didn't have anything when we got married so she could never look and say, well, I did this for the wrong reason. No, no, no. There was no... There was no pot of gold at the end of this rainbow, all right? So for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, you don't want somebody that you look at and you say, well, you know what? I love you, but if you get sick, I'm out, all right? Or if the stock market crashes and we lose our fortune, I think that it'll be time for us to part ways. That, that's the relationship you don't want. Because when it comes to relationships, we want somebody that is all in. We want somebody that is there all the way. And that's why we titled the first of three messages, All the Way. See, this was originally going to be verses 30 through 35. But as I was studying the passage this week, there were certain things that stuck out to me. And as a pastor, I reserved the right in our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter studies 
to sit there just like you would maybe on a drive and you see a piece of scenery to pull over and say, you know what, let's enjoy this. Let's savor it. Let's sit on it just for a couple of minutes. We're going to sit on these few verses just for a little while today to see what it's like to be called to love God all the way. You see, the first two most important commandments that Jesus summarized the 10 with, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind. Another version says heart, soul, mind, strength. Another, uh, another passage says that. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. God is calling us to love all the way. He's calling us to these all the way relationships, not halfway, not halfway. It was Oprah many years ago who struggled with the idea of the Christian God, though she was brought up in the church. She struggled because she said she was sitting at a service and she heard that God was a jealous God. And she said, that's not something I want from my God. But she didn't understand God's jealousy. She didn't understand God is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane as the song goes, I am the tree. He loves us just like I love my son. I am jealous to be his dad. I don't want anybody else to take that role. That's how I'm jealous for my son. And so we talk about this all the way relationship that we're called to. We take a look and we're going to see what it means to love God all the way. What does it mean to be all in? See, what we've seen over the past few weeks is Joshua's all in, yes? Is Joshua not all in? God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed. And then he brings Joshua to the Jordan River. Jordan River is parted. Walls of Jericho come a-tumbling down. After they get rid of the sin, they won the battle last week. But what do you do after you win those battles? It's the same thing we should do when we lose some of the battles. All the way, all in. Not just whether or not we win, but if we lose, we're still doing the same thing, and that is we're giving our whole hearts to God, our entire hearts to God, because He is worthy of that love, because He went all the way to the cross for us. And so let's take a look at verses 30 through 31. And there will be three points to today's message. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, and Moses, the servant of the children, had commanded the children of Israel, as it was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Let's stop right there. The first thing that we want to see is we want to see that he built an altar and this altar was made of what, in my translation, says an altar of whole stones, unhewn stones, untouched stones. So in other words, there's no human tool that's going to touch those stones. They're going to be in plain form just as is, just as God made them. They're going to be assembled to build an altar. Why is this important? Oh, I think it's very important. Because when you come to the altar, it's not to be about the design of the stones. It's not to be about the architecture. It's not to be about the human craftsmanship that when you take a look at those stones, you get so distracted that you forget about why you're bringing your sacrifice to the altar. See, in the church today, sometimes I think we get it backwards. Sometimes I think we start from the outside in when things are a little bit messed up on the inside and that's the place where God, that, that's what God really wants from us. That's why we sing that song from the inside out because it's a heart matter. 
the unhewn stones, so that you'd bring your sacrifice to the altar. And in bringing your sacrifice to the altar, as the patriarch Moses did, and as the children of Israel had done before them, it was about honoring God. It was about sacrifice. And it was about the state of your heart. So nothing would take its focus off of God. And that's the first point today. All the way means this. All the way means all eyes are on him. Fair enough? All the way means he has our full attention. I can't tell you as a teacher what it's like sometimes because I'm up here and I get to see people on their phones like this. Oh, but it's my Bible on the phone, PJ. Sometimes it is. I can't tell you what it's like when you're teaching someone and to have that person kind of here, kind of not there, kind of here, kind of not there. And that's why one of my favorite pastors after he'd stop reading would say, your attention please. In other words, all eyes up here, all eyes on the word of God. No distractions, because this is between us and him this moment. Yes, we can give 30 to 45 minutes to God without having to go on Facebook and see what's going on over there. We can do that, right? Because you want to hear from God, right? So we want to make the main thing, the main thing, the main thing. And that's what this altar is about. All eyes are to be on God. All attention is to be on God. When Leonardo da Vinci, you thought I was going to say Leonardo DiCaprio, right? No. When Leonardo da Vinci was 43 years old, the Duke of Milan asked him to paint the dramatic scene of Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. Working slowly and giving meticulous care to detail, he spent three years on the assignment. He grouped the disciples into threes, two groups on other side of the central figure of Christ. Christ's arms outstretched. In his right hand, he holds a cup painted beautifully with marvelous realism. When the masterpiece was finished, the artist said to his friend, observe it and give me your honest opinion on it. It's wonderful, the friend said. The cup is so real. I can't divert my eyes from the cup. Immediately, Leonardo took a brush, drew it across the sparkling cup. He exclaimed as he did so, nothing shall detract from the figure of Christ. And that needs to be our lives. That needs to be our worship. That needs to be our preaching. That needs to be our service in the community. That needs to be our marriages. That needs to be our family so that they look at us and nothing that we're doing would divert them from the character of Christ. Oh, the church has many beautiful stone-carved buildings in the world. Do they not? I remember being a New York Apple tour guide Yes, there was life before Pastor John. I was on the double-decker bus tours going throughout Manhattan, if you can. And oh, but we had fun with them. We had fun on the double-decker bus tours. We'd go up to the Hudson River and say, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this was named after the famous actor, Rock Hudson. And then they'd look and they'd say, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Just go with it. There's all sorts of things. But the thing that really struck me the most was when I would go into St. Patrick's Cathedral, St. John's Cathedral, and there was a sense of majesty and awe and amazing. But during the services, a gift shop was open in the back. And I would look at the building, and the building would be impressive. And I thought to myself, as I think to this day, there are many impressive buildings on the outside that sometimes be dead on the inside. That being said, a church family can be gathered under a pavilion at a beach, and that can be alive. I've seen a church family in a funeral home alive, and I've seen people in beautiful buildings, and then I've also seen people in beautiful buildings alive, full of the Spirit. It's not the building. The church is, was, always has been about the people. That's what the word church means. Surprise, 
I'm going to church. I'm going to the group of called out ones. That's the original language. It's called the ecclesia, the called out ones. That's the church. It's the people. It's the people on the inside, the broken, messed up, hurting people that come into the place that is supposed to be not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. But a lot of the times, people come onto the inside and they end up feeling kind of like Clara Peller. Anybody here know who Clara Peller is? 1984, made famous off of a three-word phrase, worked for Wendy's, where's the beef? All right. So in other words, she would take the burger, she would open it up, and she'd be so disappointed with what was on the inside that it was all bread and no meat, and unfortunately, sometimes that's what the church is about. And so what we have is this. We have Joshua's instruction. The altar he's going to build is going to be with stones that no man has wielded an iron tool upon. Remember the purpose, to honor God. The church is not American Idol. How was Pastor John this week? Well, on a 1 to 10 scale, he was a 10. Or on a, This week he was kind of off. He was kind of stumbling over his words a little bit. He looked a little tired. Did he look tired to you? He was, a, he was a 3 today. It's not about the strobe lights. It's not about the smoke machines. It's about the substance. It's about the Word of God. It's about our hearts given over to the Word of God. So all attention is on Him. So if there are things that we're doing... And unfortunately, it goes a little bit like this in our lives. We have this thing called spiritual ADD. Does anybody have spiritual ADD? When you sit down to read your Bible, you get distracted. When you sit down to pray, you get distracted. When you sit down to listen to a message, you get distracted. It's called spiritual ADD. It's in the diagnosis book. You can check it out. It stands for sad. All right? No, it's not really in the diagnosis book. But spiritual ADD, we all have it. All right, we're trying to sit there. We're trying to focus on God. We're trying to focus on the cross, and it's so hard. Why? Because the enemy is always trying to pull our attention. Sometimes he pulls our attention through the blessings. How many of you have had your attention pulled through the blessing? After the victory, it would be easy. After the victory, after the blessing, it would be easy for Joshua to say, you know what, I think we're going to take a little bit of time off. I think that you know, we're not going to necessarily build an altar Take a little vacation. In this altar, everything is to be about God. Everything. All attention on Him. Is your attention on Him right now? He'll allow certain things to happen in our lives, and we'll get into that as we go through the message today. He'll allow certain things to happen in our lives to make sure He has our undivided, especially His children. All attention on him. When this altar is assembled, what's going to be put on it? Verse 31, it tells us, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, it says, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And so the first thing that we see that was put on the altar, so it's the altar and what you bring to it. The first thing that we see is the idea of the burnt offering in which 
the person would put their hands on the animal. They would convey their sins onto the animal. They would transfer as if symbolically their sin to that animal. And then that animal would be put on the altar and it would be burned and it would be wholly burned. And that would stand for purification from the sins. That would be the reason for the burnt offering. And in the same way, we take a look at the cross. And when Jesus was put on that cross for us, purification, his blood covering our sins, past, present, and future. And that brings us to our second point. See, the first point we said all the way means all attention on God. All eyes are on God. But the second point goes like this. All the way means our hearts belong to him. Our hearts belong to him. Does your heart belong to him? How many of you remember the story of Cain and Abel in the Bible? All right. The story of Cain and Abel, we talk about one brother that brings an offering, a little bit of fruit of the ground, a little bit of the, the, from the crops he's bringing to God. And then Abel says, bought the first best of his flock. And what we see in that passage is that really, ultimately, it was a heart issue between the brothers. And God receives and accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain's offering, and Cain's upset. Who's he upset at? He's upset with his brother. He's upset with God. Who should Cain be upset with? Himself. Why? Because it was a choice that he made and it revealed what was in his heart. You see, Abel gave God the first best. Cain gave God a little something, something, kind of like we do sometimes. We'll give God a little bit of the leftovers. We'll pray at the end of the night if we have time. We'll go to our Bible at the end of the day if we have time, if we have time. If we have a little bit of something left after the paycheck is over, then we'll take care of it. Is God getting your first best? What is what we do? How we're using our talent, our time, our treasures? How does that reveal what's in our hearts? Because all the way is a heart issue. All the way is, was, and always has been a heart issue. I want you to leave Joshua. Go to Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. And it reads like this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is in your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We'll stop right there. We're just really going to look at the first verse today, because the first verse is very much like the burnt offering. The first verse is very much like the burnt offering in that it's a purification and that as Christians, what we're told to give is our whole heart to God, present our bodies as a living sacrifice. But you know what's said about the living sacrifice? The problem with it is that we're always trying to crawl off the altar. How many of you have tried to crawl off the altar this week? God's doing something in your life and he's convicting you and he's speaking to you and he's trying to get you to change something and you're saying, no, 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 no. And we're trying to crawl off the altar. Paul says this, I beseech you. Therefore, in beseeching them, he's saying this is a matter of the will, which means that this is a heart issue. This too is cardiac. His appeal to them is by the mercies of God. Have you ever heard someone say, for the love of God? for the very fact that God loves you, for the very fact that he's shown his mercy to you. Now here's the thing, when it comes to religion, and this is the difference between what we're doing in here and religion, 
religion is usually somebody sacrificing so they can obtain mercy. Christianity, we've received mercy, and so we give the sacrifice of our whole heart. Do you see the difference? We didn't get what we deserved. We got this thing called mercy, and it was extended to us. And so what God is doing continually is changing us, transforming us. So they're bringing burnt offerings. Some are really struggling with the 40-day fast. I'm struggling with it sometimes. I'm sitting at the table, and there's the salt shaker. I've been shaking that thing for 45 years since I could could grab it. Since I could grab the salt shaker. I've been pulling for that thing, and and now it's like, it's, it's almost like the force. It's like, you know, it's like I hear the Star Wars music, and I'm trying to grab for it, and there's this battle between good and evil, and God is saying no. You're on the altar right now. You're seeking the things spiritual, and so you're forsaking the things physical, and so you're a living sacrifice on my altar, John. Problem is this. It's been well said that some of us will change when we see the light, but some won't change until they feel the heat. Some will change when they see the light, but some won't change until they feel the heat. And until you're in that moment, until you're being pressured, until God's trying to make that change and you're kicking and screaming and refusing to let him do the thing that he needs to do and that he wants to do in your heart. And so this, there's this aspect to being a living sacrifice. There's the suffering aspect. Oswald Chambers said, suffering is the heritage of the bad, of the penitent, and of the Son of God. Listen to this. This is really cool. Suffering is the heritage of the bad, of the penitent and of the Son of God. Each one ends at the cross. The bad thief is crucified. The penitent thief is crucified. And the Son of God is crucified. By these signs we know the widespread heritage of suffering and that it's something in the believer's life that God uses to strengthen us, refine us. Why? Because we're living sacrifices and what he's trying to do and his end game is, was, and always has been, listen, to cultivate the character of Christ in you. That's his desire. It's not so much the situation or the crisis that you're in. That's the means to an end because what God has always been about is cultivating the character of his son in you. And that's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. All the way means our hearts belong to him. A. Parnell Valley visited an orange grove where an irrigation pump had broken down. The season was unusually dry and some of the trees were beginning to die for lack of water. The man giving the tour then took Bailey to his own orchard, orchard, orchard where irrigation was used sparingly. These trees could go without rain for another two weeks, he said. You see, when they were young, I frequently, listen to this, when they were young, I frequently kept water from them. This hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil in search of moisture. Now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area. While others are being scorched by the sun, these are finding moisture at a greater depth. Right now, that's the life that we're called to. That's the struggle that we're called to. He wants us to find that moisture at the greater depth. And so the struggle, the sacrifice, right now being living sacrifices, through the struggle, through the pain, what he's doing is he's digging our roots that much deeper. Why? Because he wants our heart. He wants the whole heart. He wants nothing but the heart. 
So you got somebody in your life right now and they're hard to love. Anybody? Any takers for that one? Anybody got somebody in your life that's a little hard to love right now? So what is he trying to do? He's trying to make you more loving. Got somebody that you're struggling to forgive right now. What's he trying to do? You're on the altar, man. He's trying to make you more forgiving. Comes down to a heart issue. It's all a heart issue, right? It's the heart issue because that's what he wants. And he'll allow these things to come and he'll allow you to be put on the altar because he wants to do something in your heart. I have to say it's very hard being a dad. I have a five-year-old that I think might have been the reason that James Dobson wrote his book, The Strong-Willed Child. All right? The Strong-Willed Child, yes. And, uh, and he's very dramatic, and I don't know where he gets that from. Quite possibly the mother's side. Oh, she's, <laughs> she's with us today. <laughs> We have the strong-willed child. Yes, and, and so what's happening now is that sometimes something will just kind of flow out of his mouth. Sometimes he'll do something at school. The other day, we had gotten a message a while back that he had, I think he bit a little girl because she hugged him. Was that right? Yeah, she hugged him. And so he was like, Dad, I'm like, no, not, not this. I said, are you kidding me? And so there's the discipline that comes there. On that day, my son, is he's put on the altar. Why? Because he needs to know that that behavior is not acceptable. And so there's got to be discipline that comes with that behavior. So the next time that behavior is possible, he takes that thought into captivity. So he doesn't have to go to his room without the iPad. In the same way, God does so much in our hearts how many of you have had something taken away lately? And it's God saying, listen, this is because I needed this. I want this, and I'm not going to settle for anything less. I want your full attention. Yes, I want your whole heart. I used to love those war movies, the old John Wayne movies and some of the Clint Eastwood movies where it's like the, the, you know, the platoon is doing whatever they want, and then John Wayne or Clint Eastwood walks in, and they play the hard-bitten drill sergeant, and now they have to get up at 5 a.m. They're having to eat what they're told to eat. They're having to do what they're told to do. And all the while, what's happening is that this hard-bitten drill sergeant, he's cultivating the character of a soldier in these men. Why? Because when they go into battle, they're going to need that kind of discipline. We're called to be living sacrifices. What does that mean to you? Right now, when, when it comes to your life, do you consider yourself a living sacrifice to God? Does He have this, this, this? Does He have everything? Or just a little bit? A little bit of the leftovers? Or does He have your first best? First best. See, because burnt offerings, it's all about purification, purifying our motives being put on that altar so that he's always taking a look. And because we're his children, he loves us enough to discipline us. He loves us enough, even if it's a little bit painful, he's looking end game and making sure that the character of his son is cultivated in us. Now let's leave Romans for a second. Well, we won't go back there. Let's go over to the book of Luke. Verse 36. 
I have to say that this particular passage and the, wor- the reason that this message got changed today was largely because of, and I usually don't do book plugs, but this book called The End of Me um, by author Kyle Eidelman. Uh, I started reading this this week, and this actually compelled me to take a closer look at our attention and the sacrifice that we offer to God because we all come to God at a place that we're supposed to be broken. And that's what we see in the passage that we're going to take a look at. So the first, what we've seen is this, is that when you're loving God all the way, it's all our attention is on God. All our hearts given over to God. But now what we're going to see is this through this woman in Luke 7, verse 36. It's going to be our last point. And all the way means on our knees before God. And it's a matter of humility. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, as if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this who is touching him is, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There, were certain creditor, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly answered. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. We'll stop right there. All the way means all attention is on God. All the way means our hearts belong to God. And all the way means we're on our knees before God. You see, there are two sinners in this passage. Actually, they're all sinners in the passage. But there are two that stand out. One is Simon. And he's the Pharisee. He's the, quote, religious leader and the homeowner. And the other is this woman of obvious ill repute, designated by the people to be a sinner, which is not a big deal because they're all sinners, right? Except the way that it identifies her, you're led to know, you're, you're, you're given the understanding that she's just a little bit more of a sinner than, than the other folks. If you would know who this was, Jesus. If you had any understanding of who this is. You have two sinners that you're looking at primarily, Simon and this woman, but more importantly, the thing that Eidelman points out is that they're two broken people. The only difference is, is that one of them knows it. There are two broken people in this passage. There are X number of broken people in this church, and some of us know we're broken, and some of us don't. Some of us believe that we're broken, but some of us, at the moment that we begin thinking 
At the moment that we begin thinking we're more the woman, that's me. That's usually the moment that we're turning into Simon. And the moment that we think that we're Simon, that's usually the moment that we're more like the woman that knows she's broken. So what does this woman do when she enters the house? It says here, and you've got to love this, is that verse 37, Behold, a woman in the city was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Alabaster jars were often made from a precious stone found in Israel. This stone resembles the texture of marble and was extremely expensive to own. These jars contained ointments, oils, and perfumes. The thick stone prevented the aroma from escaping and kept the perfume from spoiling. The shape of the jar usually had a long neck and a sealed top. To open the jar, the top had to be broken, which allowed it to be used for one time only. And very often, this jar was so expensive that it was part of a woman's dowry, and it was something precious. However, the prostitutes carried it for a different reason. They carried it because the smell, the perfume, was alluring to men. And what you also see is that she breaks that. She breaks that for one man. Because only one man is worthy of that breaking, and that is Jesus. She breaks it for him. And listen to this. It says here, she and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. Now, according to the word of God in the book of Corinthians, a woman's hair is her glory. A woman's hair is her glory. But this woman wasn't using her hair to glorify God. You see, in her past dealings with men, she was using her hair to lure and entice men. And in that alabaster flask, she wasn't using it as a potential dowry. She was using it, again, to entice men. But here what she's done is this. She's taken that jar. She's broken it. This is a changed woman. She's gotten before the feet of Jesus. She's anointed his feet. And now she's taken her hair. She's taken her glory. And what she's doing is is that she's wiping his feet with it. All the way means on our knees before him. It's a matter of our action. Why? Because the Bible tells us this. He humbled himself in obedience to the point of death on a cross. That's how he humbled himself for us. And so because, again, he humbled himself, now that love for us should bring us into submission. We were talking about it during the James study the other night, that the best reason to submit to someone is because of love. How many of you have ever gotten uncomfortable when the pastor sits up there and he says, wives, submit to your husbands? For some women, that is an uncomfortable teaching. For some women, they actually nudge their husbands and go, I ain't submitting to you. No way. Some women look at their guys and they go, no, that ain't going to happen. Not here. Not with, this, not, not with this lady. I'm not submitting to that. So it's a hard teaching. But the Bible also says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now let me ask you something. Ladies, if Married or not married, if you're in this room, if you had that kind of a man that loved you like Jesus loved his church, would that not be something that would be worth submitting to? Why? Because when a husband loves like that, in a way he's submitting to the wife. It's a mutual submission. What this woman has done is she submitted herself fully to Jesus. 
She's broken her alabaster flask. She's given her everything to him. Her standing isn't important. Simon, a guy like Simon, invited Jesus into his house because it was a moment of, because it was, it was more of a thing of stature for Simon. All right, I'm inviting him in here. You know, he's a prominent teacher right now. He's coming over to my house for a little bit of food. And now the sinner comes in. And she's not about stature at all. Simon is inviting Jesus in because of his pride. And this woman has come in her humility. Not afraid of humiliation. Just getting down before him broken. Have you, have you been broken before him lately? Have you ever come to the cross and just said, I don't understand this. I don't understand what you did for me here. I can't fathom what you've done. And I'm so grateful. See, if that gratitude has eluded you, we need to just get back there and we need to understand the depth of his love for us. And when you see what he did on that cross and that that cross is empty, we should all be on our faces a lot more in tears, taking the things that we've used to glorify ourselves and just giving everything over to him. There's a story of a man who claims that God told him to start digging a hole 18 years ago. He literally hasn't stopped since. Santiago Sanchez, 69, says he regards it as the Lord's work and he devotes every waking hour to the project. The pensioner heads to the tunnel in the city of Berlin in western El Salvador, Department of Asaltan, at around 3 a.m. And every time he emerges, he's carrying about 90 pounds of rock, stone, and debris following what God has told him to do. It is no easy task. And the journalist who went into the tunnel to have a look confessed that by the time he got halfway, was struggling to breathe and had to leave quickly. Despite his conviction that he is following God's orders, he has many critics and many more who laugh at what he's doing. His wife, named Isabel, said that there are people who say that he's crazy, but he answers that no one knows what God is going to demand from you. Is this man doing God's will by digging this hole in the middle of the jungle? He certainly thinks he is. And that may be all that matters. Here's the really interesting thing about God's will. It can be attached to anything you do, even the most mundane of activities, because the Bible says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving in whatever it is that we're doing. All in, all the way, all our hearts, all attention. And on our knees before God. Humbling ourselves. Does he have your whole heart? The last thing we notice about the passage from Joshua is that there was a burnt offering. There was also a peace offering. Peace offering was similar to the burnt offering. But the peace offering signified this. The peace offering signified reconciliation that was made for man. So it was offered just like the burnt offering, but it was a peace offering because it signified reconciliation on the part of the one that offered it. 